Welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome everyone to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack. And today we have a returning guest with us, Bruce Woolett. And he is the founder, visionary, and current owner of Bakerson. He's a multifamily syndicator and has a proven track record of success throughout Bakerson's nearly 20 years in business with thousands of individual units bought, repositioned, and sold. And we had the privilege of hosting him as a guest previously on our podcast and are so grateful to have him back for a second interview. If you haven't checked out his first interview with us, it's on episode 23. So check that out to hear more about his incredible background. But welcome back to the show, Bruce. How are you doing? Hey, thanks. Uh, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back on. So that was number 23. What number is this one here? This one here is going to be episode 454. Wow. That's impressive. That's a lot of episodes. Good job. Congratulations. Thank you so much. It's uh, been quite a journey and we're just excited to meet great people, fantastic people like yourselves and all the other great guests that we've had on the show. No, that's awesome. It's good for you. So Bruce, Let's talk a little bit about what you've been up to recently, and especially what today's volatile market in real estate and everything that's been going on, maybe how your investment strategy and how you look forward and how investors might be looking forward to changing a little bit of how they look at their investments in real estate moving forward with everything that's going on right now. Yeah. About six or eight months ago, we transit. No, it's been a year now. A full year ago, we transitioned from buy, fix, and sell over a three-year period to a buy, fix, and hold legacy. And so we underwrite a 10-year model. And 10-year model, because the underwriting requires some type of an exit to really show what the returns are. So we do 10 years, but we may or may not sell at that time. And our ambition is to refinance and get the investors some or all of their capital back as early as we can, and then they can stay in the deal indefinitely without having capital in our project. So that's where we're going to the buy and hold strategy and really excited about, about creating the legacy generational wealth as opposed to the quick fix and sell and make a bunch of money because it keeps putting us unemployed. You know, I asked the investors that I'm speaking to now that why do you consistently put the sponsors out of work? And they said, what do you mean? I said, well, anytime we sell a property, we have to go find something else. You sure you've got your money back. You've got multiple opportunities to pursue, to place to put your funds and I said, we're stuck looking for the next deal. And so we said, why would we, once we get something that's really highly performing, why don't we keep it ourselves? Why don't we be the buyer, the owner? Why don't we rewards of our hard work and get some good cash flow? So we switched from buying equity to buying cash flow. And it's very difficult right now to buy cash flow. It really is. When did this transition kind of happen? And what were some of the metrics that you're looking for when you decided to transition into this buy and hold strategy? It started um, last year, beginning of last year, and we had a couple of projects that we earmarked to that, and we ended up selling those, selling everything we had and repositioning in the, the, per, the properties we purchased now in, in Southern Arizona and New Mexico and Texas are all now in the last year, year and a half hold or buy and hold properties. So that, that was January of last year. What really triggered that was anytime we sold, we really weren't feeling completely fulfilled because we were selling the property, we were making money, but it just felt empty that we were, okay, we got the property up and running. Now we sold. Now somebody else is benefiting from all the work that we did. Sure, they paid a premium. And they, in some cases, they probably based on that current market at that time, people were saying they were overpaying. We're still hearing people are overpaying, but 
that's not what I'm getting at. What I'm getting at is that the cash flow that you can get, if you can buy cash flow and never sell, why don't you pursue that and just continue to refinance as the market shifts? Now, we have to be careful because the rates are going up and there's some other metrics that we have in place to protect the investor we can talk about as well. But that happened just over a year ago. Got it. And so in today's market, you talked a little bit about the cash flow versus equity, looking to that. What are some of the different things that you're seeing right now that is driving that cash flow versus equity model? Well, there's a lot of growth, especially in the Arizona markets. You're seeing an incredible price increase. And it's really not driven by the wisdom of the operators and sponsors. As much as I like to take credit for the projects that we did and we, we were hugely profitable on, we really didn't drive it. It was driven by other market conditions and timing. And so we're seeing that that's being, that'll come to end. I mean, it's not going to last forever in that in that same hype and the same push. We're already seeing some softening in the interest rates have gone up this year significantly. And we're seeing the cost of equity is actually coming down a little bit. People were getting 25, 30% or even higher IRR or the rate of return. And we're seeing that they're willing to, for a little longer term, many of them are willing to have a little, not expecting to see that forever. They know it's a short-lived thing. But then the increase in rents have shot up across the nation, and that's covering a lot of the increase in cost of money. So I think we're going to be stable still for the next foreseeable future through the end of the year, for sure. I think we'll see the prices pretty consistent where they're at. I don't see them dropping because of interest rates, because of those other metrics, but there's things to watch out for. So as an investor, if now we're looking at this buy and hold strategy, what are some of the things for them, for investors to be cognizant of as they're getting into a longer time hold period, as they're trying to build up their legacy wealth and cash flow to hedge against inflation and all the other things that are kind of going on in the market now? Well, the first thing is when an investor, when a sponsor buys a property, they should be buying cash flow in today's market. I know that's extremely difficult because we see properties being bought and sold on pro forma numbers and the sponsors aren't even hitting their numbers. The actuals don't even meet the pro forma and they sell again on performance. It's all been pro forma based. And to me, that works well until it doesn't. As soon as you have one that goes sideways, the equity is going to get hit hard. So just be conscientious that try to get into deals where you're actually getting cash flow and profits on actuals. The actuals are measurable and they're profitable based on the purchase price and not Calling only on pro forma. The other thing that we're seeing is not enough sponsors that at least I haven't seen all their underwriting, but the ones that I see come across my desk, there's I've only seen one that I know of that significantly increased their expenses, that they're using old data for their expenses on their performas. You and I know that inflation is really, really high. So materials are going up, labor's going up, it's and timelines are getting longer. So with the increase in cost and a longer timeline our expenses are actually going up at the properties. And we need to be, as an investor, a passive investor looking, should see that they've modified their expenses to bring to real market expenses and not yesterday's numbers because yesterday's numbers are no longer valid. What in the past, just generally kind of in the past, what were investors typically expecting in terms of returns and um, what they saw in cash flow and everything like that versus, you know, now with the current market, what are some of the, the numbers that they're kind of expecting to see with the change in the market now? Well, when I first got into uh, syndications, it would be eight, nine years ago, the expectations were 12 to 15%. That was what the return would be. And then we typically seen where that was getting beat, people were getting 18, 19%, and you occasionally hit 20. 
But we've seen some. I mean, some people have hit 20%, 30%, 100%. I mean, on a really short hold, we've seen some incredible returns out there. And people were, um, I don't know that people were going to expect that, but I would think still in the double digits, 15 to 18% is really as equity seems to be a very fair and reasonable place to target. And then for longer term and for class A and B plus properties, they, they might be looking for a little bit less for this because of stability. The chance of volatility is less in the typically in the nicer properties. So they might accept less, maybe 12 to 13%. But it depends on where their money's coming from. If their money's coming from the stock market, it's a lot different than if they're coming from another syndication. So the investors um, that are in stock market, you know, as we know now, it's very shaky and people are losing a lot of money. It'll, it'll come back, it'll rebound, but they might think, you know, let's diversify and double digits to them sound risky. So they'd have to be educated. But I'm expecting low to mid teens to be around for quite a while. So in the, the got it. So then in the buy and hold long-term strategy, what are some of the different metrics that you put into place to make sure that it's feasible to hold it long-term as there's, you know, maybe some other expenses that comes up as you hold it long-term, there might be some other renovations costs down the roads um, as investors, you know, what are some of the things that we can also look at to make sure that these things are in place if we are looking to do a long, uh, long-term buy and hold strategy? A good sponsor will put in their long-term, once you own a property, you'd say, okay, everything is functioning. They'd look at the roof and say, okay, the roof's got to be replaced in 10 years. And at today's dollars, it's going to be X amount. It's going to cost X amount. Then you got to you know, figure in inflation. So let's say it's, if it's a 10-year roof and you got 6% inflation, you're almost, it's almost going to be double of what it costs today. So you want to put equal to that amount. Let's say it's a $100,000 roof. Maybe you put 200000 divided by 10 years is 20000 you want to put 20000 a year into reserves for the roof. If the HVAC, if you say, hey, we're going to replace X amount per year, so it costs us 15000 a year, you want to put nearly $1,000 a month away for that reserve. So putting those CapEx reserves in and making sure that those reserves are always annually looked at to see what are the increased costs, run some more cost analysis, see what materials are going to cost. And to figure to make sure that when they do go out, when it does get replaced, you at least have the reserves in place to fund that. What typically when you've been talking to investors as well, what has been the, I guess, the most common question that has come up when they're comparing a long-term buy and hold strategy versus, you know, a typical syndication three to five year or three to five to seven year hold time period? Well, what's really interesting is is the number one question is is how do you know where the market's going to be in 10 years that we're not comfortable going longer than five? And my thought is we don't know where it's going to be in five years either. It could be in a, look at the last five years. We have not foreseen that. So I think the difference is to, to really attract those investors who want the long-term. Um, we have, we see investors that put money into their, into investments and don't, you know, they might be 45 years old and they're not going to touch it till they're 59 and a half. Well, that's a 15 year hold. So people have been doing that, um, I mean, 19, if they're yeah, mid 40s, yeah, 15 year old. You know, the, people have been doing that for years in other markets. But for some reason, people think that investments, you need to be two to three years. And I believe, based on where we're at, two to three years, we're going to be in a very sticky spot. And it's probably better to have a longer hold so that in two to three years, if the market does drop, which I think it will, uh, will it be a, a bottom fallout like 2007? Probably not. But I, you know, I, I don't know. But I do know if you protect yourself for it, from it, and it doesn't happen, you're still in a better spot than if you say, you know, I'm just going to wing it in three years, we're going to sell. Because you don't want to be in a position where you have to sell in three years, interest rates are going up, cap rates are going up, 
and prices are dropping, that'd be the worst time to sell. So why not have it where you could cash flow through those downtimes and really get good debt in place now so you can cash flow through those times. That's what I'd look for. If I was an investor, I'd look for that plan, like the alternative plans. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. For you, your investing strategy has shifted a little bit over the years. How about in terms of like markets and locations? Has your strategy shifted also to where you're looking to purchase and to invest in? Or has that strategy typically stayed the same as well? No, that, that shifted uh, a lot. We did six properties in Phoenix and then... We um, were having a hard time hitting some of the numbers we wanted. So we, we did 11 projects in Tucson. We have one in Sierra Vista now. And we have a project in Albuquerque. We have a project in uh, Fort Worth, Texas. So we're looking at Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, and Utah are primarily the markets that we're pursuing now. Just because we understand the Southwest, we understand most of the climate and the culture. It just, it, it's, it's a good fit for us in the Southwest. And then in those t- in those markets, are you looking for the similar types of um, metro areas as well, like the submarkets in those states? Yeah, yeah. Right now, Albuquerque is probably the only market we'll pursue, and maybe Southern La Cruces, but most likely just Albuquerque. Whereas Dallas, I'd be very interested in in Houston or San Antonio or some of those other markets across Texas. But we're hyper focused on Fort Worth because there's ability to buy cash flow on today's dollars at a a decent cap rate in Fort Worth. And there's Dallas is, you know, it's not so much in Phoenix is not realistic at all or Tucson. We're not seeing those where you can buy on a cap rate. So yeah, to buy cash flow on a cap rate, we're looking at other markets within Dallas. And primarily in, in Utah, we're only looking in the Salt Lake City area, that Utah Valley. We haven't looked in the other markets, trying to stay a million people are up for each market. And as we were talking, you kind of mentioned a little bit about in the event of a downturn, what are some of the things now that we can look at to make sure that things are in place so that you know we're prepared in case something comes down, the, the market comes down, we are experiencing some type of downturn within the market? Well, I guess the areas that where there's um, stable, stable rental base, you know, the renters, our focus is on the permanent renter, the lower middle class and the upper lower class. You know, the people that will never own a home but would like to live in one. And those are really, we have a hyper focus on that. And that demographic seems to be stable and growing. And it's kind of the forgotten class, the retail and the construction service industry. And, you know, they're good paying residents and it's, it's good to cater to them, but they, or they might be a little more mobile where they're only a couple of years in, a, in some given market, but they're not the high income earners. High income earners will go to the AB properties. So that part I think is very safe. If you go in areas that have a pretty strong demographic of employable people and then low unemployment, if you get into areas that are more volatile, like some of the oil cities, just be cognizant of it and make sure you make your offers where you can weather 
30% vacant and still cover your debt enough that your note isn't called by the lender. So you got to be very conscious of those things too. Are investors now still looking to invest in real estate, even with the volatility of everything that's going on, interest rates rising, cap rates compressing? Are you still seeing a lot of movement from investors? And are they still positive and forward thinking about real estate? Some of each. You know, there, there's a few that are on pause that, that say they're going to wait. There's some pretty uh, deep-pocketed investors I spoke to that are on hold and and that's okay. And then there's others that say they just want to keep their money moving. And as long as they get a long enough hold that they could weather the instability, you know, that'd be good. But if we see interest rates go up to you know seven, eight, nine percent, we're gonna be in a whole different world. And that's not the only thing that's hurting. There's be other markets hurting as well. But sitting on cash short term, I think is there's nothing wrong with that. It's probably a good uh, strategy. But long term, uh, the cash continues to lose value every year with inflation. That's actually a decreased value of your money. Unless you're really deep pocketed, be careful about sitting on it too long as well. Got it. So for you, what are you the most excited about right now and your current focus? Uh, able to provide a safe, functional, durable, clean environment to the C-class market. I, you know, that's really fulfilling to me. And I'm really excited that those opportunities seem to exist still across the country. You can buy an older property built in the 60s and 70s, make something of it, and then the residents are appreciative of what we've done. So to me, that is the most fulfilling thing. And I'm really excited about continuing to uh, fulfill that mission. And actually, I wanted to kind of go back to the long-term hold really quick. Just remembered sure. of another question. So as you're holding for the long-term, in terms of like the renovations and the business plan for it, do you typically just do it for a longer period of times? Or is the business plan to turn the properties in phases like over the long-term period? That's good because we've usually would do it in 12 to 18 months, try to turn all the units. Now we have it on a three-year plan. And the reason we do the three-year plan is we'd like to be able to maximize rents for our refinance. And I know we might be in a different market, might be some volatility in a refinance in three years, but hopefully in two, you know, we'll be able to get some refinance. But yeah, we're spreading that out longer term. The other thing we're doing that's probably pretty unique is we're not going to, if a unit vacates, somebody moves out just naturally, their lease is up and they move out. Before we commit to updating that unit, we're going to make sure we have all the supplies on hand because the supply chain of materials does not seem to be fixed. And so we're, until, until that becomes the norm where there's unlimited supply of product, we're going to be cognizant that of what's going on in the marketplace and be very careful that we don't demo a unit without having the replacement product on site. And then if whatever case, let's say some product we just can't get, for some reason, we can't get some cabinets and they're long delayed, then we probably do a light turn on that one and then not be able to get them to push the rents to where we want to and keep them at the lower level until we can repair that unit in the future and update it. So that's written in the model as well. Got it. So for investors, is there anything else that as you've been talking to them that they've concerned about that you might not have thought about that they brought up about what's been going on in the market and how they are looking at real estate in general as an investing vehicle? Well, I'm actually quite surprised how many I've talked to that have FOMO, fear of missing out. Like they want to be involved, but they don't want to be, they don't want to be tied up, but they also want to be involved. They're afraid of not getting in and not being able to uh, take advantage of the rising market, but they're also afraid, what if it goes soft? So there's a little bit of FOMO with caution kind of going on at one time. That is different than I haven't felt before. It's really been interesting for those that they really want to get in, but then they're like, well, maybe I should wait till the next one, or should I? You know, they're, they're uncertain. And so I think for people that are looking for cash flow, get in with sponsors that have cash flow in the beginning. And I feel that'll be the safest place to be long-term. 
the people that I've talked to that are elderly that have been in the business a long time acquire more than they sell. And I think that's important that we're not making all of our money on the sale, that we're really pursuing the cash flow, cash flow deals. So in today's market, like we talked about a little bit, it's hard to define those cash flowing deals. In those markets that you're looking at as well, are they typically cash flowing to at least to meet your metrics and to what you're projecting? Yeah, like the one at Fort Worth is a six cap on currents or 5.8, 5. 5.9. We basically a six cap on current on actuals. And up until we close, the rents are going up. So it's been a really good property from that standpoint. So they can be found and they can cash flow day one, but it's a lot of work. It's really, really hard to find those. And so it takes special circumstances and timing and looking at a lot of deals that you pass up on, even though they probably would have been safe. You just don't know. I want to make sure. So we try to buy it price per square foot, less than replacement cost, which is quite daunting right now. And for the replacement cost, what do you typically look for? Or like, what is the benchmark for you guys? Yeah, for a long time, it was 150, but we're saying 250 and up. I mean, it's going to be pretty expensive to replace replace properties. I know we'll get arguments, oh, we can do it for this. We can do it. That's fine. But we're still going to underwrite 250 for a replacement cost per square foot, just because I'd rather be, I'd rather aim high and be wrong than aim low and be wrong. You know what I mean? You just don't want to be aiming too low and then overpaying and then have another challenge. So it's just one of the metrics we use. And it's one of many, but that's one that we pay close attention to is price per square foot. Got it. And so for this upcoming year and in the near foreseeable future, are you guys continue to underwrite and continue to push forward and purchase other properties and provide opportunities to investors? Or are you kind of taking a step back a little bit and waiting for the volatility of the market interest rates to kind of stable out before you guys start to look at for other investment opportunities? No, it's one of those things where we're always looking. So we're still underwriting properties in Tucson and in Albuquerque and in Dallas-Fort Worth markets. Those three markets, we are still underwriting daily. And we're still, we're going to look at a property this week in Tucson. And we haven't bought there in what, three, four years, but I'm pretty confident that we can buy differently because we're looking at a different metric. Before it was very heavy value add, was huge value add. Now we're looking at how do you buy cash flow? So it could be a could be a value add or it could be just a good play where it's only uh, raising the rents is all we need to do. So we'll see. We're looking at but underwriting everything. We're underwriting a lot of properties right now. Awesome. Well, Bruce, is there any other insights that you're seeing right now in the multifamily real estate space that you want to share with us? Well, I don't know. I live in the Phoenix market. So I see the construction is really, really going strong. And I see the growth here is really strong. So it feels like the fundamentals here are still very good. I just have a hard time for the numbers penciling. So we've been able to, we've been passing on the properties here and we don't do new construction. We've hyper-focused on the lower middle class and the upper lower class. I believe it's a permanent resident base and they'll be with us, they'll be with us always. And it's a good market to take care of those. Awesome. Well, Bruce, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your insights and your different investment strategies and different things that we can be looking for as investors and paying attention to what the market is doing now in the space. And so then for our listeners out there who also want to find out more about what you're doing, where's the best place that they can go? Oh, the simplest place is bakerson.com, B-A-K-E-R-S-O-N, because I'm an SOB. I'm a son of a baker. <laughs> and they can, they can go there and then they can get rid of my calendar right there on our website. So look me up, get on my calendar. I'd love to talk to you. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming back on the show, Bruce. Really enjoyed it. Oh, thanks for having me on. It was truly my pleasure and I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you, Eileen. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. 
Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Zayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.